All right, we are back with part two of our podcast with Tom Doak. If you missed part one, check it out on our iTunes page or on our website. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate us or leave a review in iTunes. And without further ado, here is Tom Doak. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about your life as a, a golf course critic and, you know, the travels and, you know, obviously playing great golf courses and, and seeing different architecture has to help your architectural career. But for a golfer with limited accessibility, what what would be your three destinations abroad or in the States that you would recommend traveling to? Oh man, um, <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big world. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Scotland and Ireland are geared to the golf tourist that you know isn't necessarily a member of a club. I mean, you don't have to have any um, clout to go play Ballybunion. You just sign up in advance and pay the green fee, and you're there. And you know, and you know, you're, you're getting to see some of the best courses in the world. And, you know, most people don't have that much experience with Lynx golf. So, you know, and you're getting to see the game, the way it started and why it started that way. You know, if you, you know, if you get to spend long enough over there, you know, like I did spending a year over there after college, you know, it really becomes a part of you that, you know, it's just a different ethos of golf. So, you know, that would always be my first choice. And I, you know, I, I get back there fairly regularly, although kind of with my book project, I'm, I've committed myself to going other places. And I, you know, I'd be happy just going back to, to England or Scotland all the time, but, but I've still got some places that I want to see. Um, you know, Australia is pretty much the same, you know, the best courses in Australia well, now there's a couple of them like Barnboogle that, and the new ones at King Island that are open to the public. But, um, you know, even a place like, you know, it helps a little, little bit if you can write and say I'm a member of a club in the state. But I, I think you can play them even if you're not if you write a nice letter. And those are tremendous golf courses. And, you know, and, again, you know, they have a lot to teach us too, especially in terms of, like, how they use water on golf courses and how dry and firm they keep it. Cause it doesn't rain much in Sydney and Melbourne and uh, they have to be more efficient with water. And, you know, California has a lot to learn from Australia and in, in how to manage water on golf courses. Um, and, you know, you'll never see bunkering like that anywhere else. You'll never see a bunch of par threes as good as you'll see like on every course in Melbourne. Um, so that's a great destination, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime place for most people, but but definitely worth the trip. And then, you know, there's a lot of great resorts in America, and, you know, 
I'll plug Band and Dunes. I mean, yeah. you know, being able to go there for a few days and, you know, and just stay there and play all those courses and see how different they are. And, you know, it really does feel like, like something in the West of Ireland or, or somewhere in Britain in terms of how the golf courses play. Um, you know, it's a tremendous place to go and it's, it's a cool thing to have been a part of. And everybody gets gets the chance to play two of your golf courses, so that's uh, it's a big yeah. plus. Yeah, I'm plugging my own work there. <laughs> I, it's, we, you know, I've done I've done some stuff in Australia too, and it's not bad. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what course did you go to, whether it's public or private, um, in the states, where you walked in with very low expectations and were most pleasantly surprised? Well, it's happened a lot over the years, although it's, it's, you know, it's harder to do now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I remember, like, going to Cruden Bay for the first time in Scotland and, you know, in 1982, and I'd only ever seen one picture of it. So, you know, I, you know, I knew just enough to know, well, this could be pretty exciting because this one picture looks like it's a pretty spectacular piece of land. But I had no idea what the golf holes were going to be like until I got there, and that you know, that sense of discovery of going around it for the first time and seeing all these cool and wild things, you know, we've kind of lost that a little now because any any golf course you want to know about, you can find a thousand pictures up on the internet now. Um, but, um, but I still go places that, that I'm surprised that, you know, even if I've seen some pictures of them, uh, it's like, you know, either because they've done a good restoration or because, um, you know, they're just not, you know, usually it's, it, it tends to be private clubs. So they're, you know, they're not marketing it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the, the trip I made last year that was a real eye opener was going to, going across Iowa. Um, you know, there's like, there's no golf courses in Iowa that are rated in the golf digest or golf magazine list. And, and, you know, there's no Alistair McKenzie courses or Tillinghast courses. Um, so, you know, there's, there's not anything about it where you think, well, oh, yeah, that's going to be a different golf destination. But, you know, the first course I saw, you, you know, if you're, if you're coming from the east, you go across the Mississippi River and you're there in the Quad Cities region. And the, the very first golf course when you go across the bridge, about two miles, is an Allison course called Davenport Country Club that they just did a restoration of. Is a terrific golf course. I mean, you know, we do consulting for Milwaukee Country Club and the Country Club of Detroit, which are two of the best Allison courses in the state. And I thought this was better than the two of them. Wow. <laughs> and yet nobody's, you know, I've never heard that from anybody. So, you know, again, it's a private club. It's in Iowa. And they don't market themselves at all. So who's going to know that? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and it was... Part of the reason it's not on the Golf Digest list, up till the renovation, it was only like 63 or 6,400 yards. So they were dismissing it on that basis. And it's still, you know, now it's 6,700, which is pl- just plenty for me, but there's there's probably some Golf Digest panelists who think that's not long enough. Well, I think so then, we're both on the same you know, page so, with those, with the with the panel ratings, but... Um, yeah. It's, it's... But there were like five or six courses in Iowa that I really thought were pretty cool. And, you know, one of them was a Donald Ross course, Cedar Rapids, that they just renovated and did a great job with. Um, one of them was a Perry Maxwell course, the one for Iowa State University. It has a 
typically wild Perry Maxwell greens on it. Um, you know, and there was a new course outside of Des Moines that Keith Foster did, which is probably the best, uh, the best solo design of his career. Yeah. So there was really a lot there. And it's just the fact that they're private and they don't, you know, they're not like Northern Michigan where they pool their advertising dollars and run ads in golf digest. So you don't hear anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, it's, I, I'm in the state next to Iowa and I have played no golf in Iowa. I, I think I've only been there when yep. I visited the university of Iowa. So <laughs> this sounds like somewhere I got to go this, this summer. Um, well, it's funny too because I never thought. I mean, I was there when I was there. It was like cold and windy and that. I was there like first of April or something, and it was. It had been really nice in March, and then it was cold and windy in April, and it was just. I mean, I just froze my butt off for four days, walking around seeing all these courses and trying to play in it once. But but that's another thing. I was. It's windy in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good thing for golf. It makes the golf a lot more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it adds the adds the element, and it's uh, it's just it's different than what a lot of people experience in places like Chicago or or Philadelphia, right. where you've got right. lots of trees. Um, so, what what architects uh, you know have you gained a lot of appreciation for from all these travels and playing all all these courses? <laughs> Too many to list. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's four guys that get most of the attention and then there's four or five others like George Thomas, because he wrote his book and, and did a couple of courses that are, you know, prominent tour sites, um, that they get a fair share of attention. And then most of the other golf course architects who worked back in the old days, you know, aren't well known today. Somebody like Bill Langford, who worked around Chicago, or or Perry Maxwell, uh, who who did some of his best work building golf courses for Alistair McKenzie, but then did some great stuff on his own. Or uh, or Walter Travis. You know, we've worked on a couple of Travis golf courses, and I've been consulting at Garden City Golf Club for approaching thirty years now. Um, you know, they all did some terrific work and, and all, you know, all at this sort of detail level, you know, they didn't necessarily have a spectacular oceanfront site, but, but the greens they built and the, you know, the bunkers they built, the featuring and, and they, you know, they, they, some of them were working on some pretty rugged terrain. And so they came up with golf holes that, that are just different than the kinds of things you see now, you know, they're, they're hillier and the, you know, the, I mean, the, the landing area, their, their original landing area might have been designed at 220 yards. So, so now you can blow it over that, but you, you do so at your peril because, because it really wasn't meant, you know, it really wasn't meant to be played that way. And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble trying to go for it. Um, you know, so, you know, I've seen so many cool things and, you know, and I've seen, and I've seen more than a couple that, you know, that were designed by people you never heard of or nobody even really remembers who the heck built it. And, you know, and yet it's a cool golf course. So, so you know, I wish people didn't pay as much attention to the names as they do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it sounds crazy. I mean, you know, my living is the fact, you know, part of the reason I make a good living is the fact that people know who I am. <laughs> but, and, and that's, you know, it's, and it's hard to, you know, I can't remember like years ago, either, either Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas, I think it was Palmer said, said, you know, he'd, he'd really like it if, if people came to play one of his courses and they really liked it, but they didn't even know who built it. And I thought, well, yeah, but that's hard to do when they put your picture on the scorecard. <laughs> it's a, it's very, that's very, very true. Um, so what, um, I, I got, I had some Twitter questions I, I put up and, um, want to get okay. to some of those. Um, so Jay Rigdon wants to know what are the best nine hole courses that you've seen and how do you, you know, rate them compared to an 18 hole course? Um, the best nine hole course I've seen is, uh, Royal Worlington and Newmarket in England, which, um, which the Cambridge golf team uses. So it's semi-famous. Um, but you know, there's one that, you know, its origin is a little bit of a mystery. Harry Colt had something to do with it at some point, but, but the guys who designed it originally are really kind of no names yet. I mean, it's on a, it's on a tight piece of land and it's fairly unassuming looking. There's actually a road, the, the road that goes by the clubhouse and goes alongside the first and second hole. You know, you play over the road at the ninth hole. So you're actually driving through the golf course and you could drive through that golf course and, and, not give it a second glance thinking, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then, But you get out in the middle of the first fairway and look at the shot you've got into the green, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> and nine holes of that. I mean, there's there's nine really good holes on a nine-hole golf course, which you don't see that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a handful of others. I, um, Whitensville in Massachusetts is a Donald Ross course, and, I think that's probably the best nine-hole course in America. Um, Gil Hans just did a bunch of restoration work on it, made it that much better. But, you know, I've, I've been going there. I haven't been there that many times, but the first time I went there was like 30 years ago this summer. So it's, it's always been a favorite. Um, another one that I saw for the first time a year or two ago was Cooper in New Hampshire. It's kind of like not that far north of Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, you just go up through Massachusetts and you're right there. Um, uh, 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 Styles and Van Cleek course, or maybe just Styles actually, but terrific piece of ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Dunes Club that Mike Kaiser built, um, you know, pretty close to my lost Dunes down in the corner of Lake, in the corner of Michigan as you're going around the lake towards Chicago. Yeah, um, which is a you know a really neat fairly freeform golf course and you know I, I saw it the first time when it was brand new and and before I'd met Mike and and saw you know just some of the the way they'd done keys more freeform and stuff I thought wow this is a you know this is the kind of guy I'd like to work for <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I had the chance as, as far as how I rate them I kind of informally think you know it costs them one point on the dope scale that they're only a nine hole course. Okay. You know, cause it's like, you know, if you, you know, you know, there, there are some, there are some very good golf courses that there's one nine holes that's great. And the other nine holes kind of sucks. 
I won't go into specifics today. Yeah. I saw one of those pretty recently, actually, that I thought, well, yeah, this nine holes is great. And the other nine holes is like, they shouldn't have even built it. They should just play the, play the one good nine twice. And, but, you know, you know, I do that with recognition that it's harder to build 18 great holes than it is to just build nine great holes. But at the end of the day, if you've got a really good nine hole course, you know, that's a great golf course and there's no reason to knock it down that much because there's only nine in the hole because you can go play them again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just so people that aren't familiar, um, Tom came up with a doke scale, which is how he rates golf courses. It's a one through 10 and there he rates them all in his, his books called the, the confidential guide to golf courses. I highly recommend them. If you're into golf courses, they're, they're just terrific things to just read through and great ways to figure out where you want to play next. Um, Tom, tell us a little bit about how you came up with the Doak scale. It's really kind of a lark. I mean, you know, the, the original version of the confidential guide was just written for, I printed 40 of them and gave them away to friends and people mm -hmm. that had helped me go around and see some of these golf courses. You know, like I gave... I gave George Pepper a copy, and I gave Ben Crenshaw a copy, and I gave Pete a copy. You know, it was, because I was writing just for friends, it was very off-the-cuff and informal and brutally honest. You know, if I didn't like a famous course, I just said, don't bother ever going to this place. And they're making fun of a, bat, of a hole that I thought was terrible or whatever. And, you know, and I never really intended for it to be seen by more than a handful of friends. But... Um, you know, I came up with the, the dope scale and given the courses as zero to 10 rating was kind of a shortening because I realized, you know, I think the first book covered like six or 700 golf courses. So I was, you know, I was only writing a, I only had room to write a paragraph or two about the golf course and I couldn't really cover it. You know, it wasn't like I was going to cover it hole by hole. So I just thought, well, you know, I want to, I want to put a number with it. So you know, if I write about Augusta and, you know, because everybody's already read a million things about Augusta and all these people I've given this book to know Augusta, you know, I want to write what I don't like about Augusta. But then I don't want everybody to think, well, he hates Augusta. He thinks it's the worst golf course in the world because he wrote two paragraphs that are bad about it. So the number was kind of like, no, you know, it's still a nine on my one to ten scale. It's not a ten, but it's not a five. I mean, I, I really like the golf course. So, you know, the number was kind of a, a safety valve check originally, but, you know, once when I, when I decided on the advice of all my friends that I should really publish the book for the mainstream because it was, you know, basically it was what I knew about golf course architecture was from seeing all those golf courses and it would be good for my career to put that out there even if it was controversial. Um, you know, then the numbers became like the whole point for most people, which is too bad. I mean, you know, the, the, to me, the book is still about what I have to write about the golf course. You know, what, why do I think you should go here? What, what's interesting about this golf course that would make you want to travel all the way to see it? Mm -hmm. That's really the purpose of the book. You know, it's not, it's not meant to be Doke critiques every architect who ever lived. It's meant to be like, you only have so much time, Andy. So yeah. if you're going to England, you know, which of these courses should you try to go see? 
and it's written in a way that, yes, I've got numbers on them, and you could say, well, I'll go to all the nines and the eights and the sevens, and I'll use that as a cutoff. You know, but that's not really, that. you know, you shouldn't even do that. You should read what I say about the golf courses, and you should look at which ones are close together and go, oh, yeah, he only gave that a five, but it sounds pretty cool, so maybe I should go see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and but I'm not expecting it to be one of the top 100 courses in the world, but it's good, you know, it's going to be cool enough to go be worth spending four hours. Yep. And that's, you know, and that's, you know, that's been the success of the book, that it works really well on that level. Mm-hmm. And the people that go out of their way to see some course they never heard of because I recommended it are mostly pretty pleased by having made their detour. Yeah, um, it's um, I think it, it's it's just a great resource for if you're unfamiliar with an area. It, I mean, you can learn so much um, about different courses and, and just figure out, you know, the, the I always say to people they should have a, you know, a purpose for why they want to play somewhere. And it, it does a great job of giving you a reason to go play somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, I just. You know, I was involved in the rankings of courses with Golf Magazine back from almost the time they started doing it. I'm not involved in that anymore. And I really, you know, all those rankings have just, you know, they've overpowered everything else. It's like, you know, I I know these panelists that, like, they go to Asia for a week and they go play two courses in Korea and three in Japan and one in Thailand and, you know, because they're, quote-unquote top 100 golf courses or serious candidates for the top 100. And they drive right by, you know, the, I mean, like, Japan is the best example of that. You know, Kasumi Gaseki used to be ranked in the top 100 golf courses. I can't remember if it still is now or not. But there was another course that Allison had something to do with, Tokyo Golf Club, that's next door to it. And for years, panelists never went there. It would go to Kasumi Gaseki because it was in the top 100 and they wanted to see all the top 100. And nobody would go, you know, it's not even across the street. It's like it forks off the same driveway. But you couldn't get anybody to go there, you know, because they had to get on a plane to go to Thailand tomorrow instead. And that just bothered the hell out of me. You know, I just think, well, you know, go see, you know, actually go, if you're going to take a golf trip to Japan, for God's sake, go see Japan. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> and that's you see the same thing in Scotland. You know, people people go to Scotland, and you know, if this if their first trip to Scotland, they think, well, I may never get to do this again in my life. So I've got to go see all the Open Championship courses in Scotland, and then and then, but I also want to see Dornick because because everybody says it's a great golf course. So you know, so that means that you're you know you're driving two hours from Edinburgh to St. Andrews and you're driving two or three hours more to get over to Troon. And then you're driving like five hours to get up to Dornick and five hours coming back. And you skip so many good golf courses in between there. It's a joke. Yeah. And, and you're all that time in the car, you could have played two or three more rounds of golf and seen, you know, it's like, exactly. oh, just because they're an open road, of course, doesn't mean for the 10 handicap that it's the best place to go play. I think, you know, this No, the only thing it means is it's the most expensive golf course you're going to see in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they charge $250 for all of that. 
mm-hmm. and there, you know there could be a good golf course down the street that they're still only charging sixty for because it's not so well known. And that's you know so that's part of you know that's part of the confidential guide too. It's like you know my little intros to the different sections are basically for God's sake don't do that. You know mm-hmm. if you're if you know if you're going to Scotland just assume that you're going to like it and want to go back again someday. So don't try to touch all the bases this trip. Just, you know, pick a couple areas and see some of the little golf courses because, you know, a lot of times you, you, you get more out of that. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, if you're staying around, say, you know, if you're staying around where Muirfield is out there to the uh, east of Edinburgh, and, you know, and you, you take time to play North Berwick and you take time to play Gullen, but maybe you've got time to go see, like, Kilspindy, too, this little 5,400-yard golf course that's a, you know, it's par 68, and the, the first tee is, like, literally, you know, as soon as you step off the pavement, the, the walkway from around the clubhouse, you're on the tee. And it's a, the first hole, the par 3, and the green's, like, 160 yards right over there, but it's a really hard shot. And... And then the 18th green is like steps away from the first tee. And, you know, it was 5,400 yards, and most Americans would dismiss that, but then they go and play it, and it's not so easy. And it's a very intimate little place, and you play it in like two hours because it's so compact. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have that experience somewhere to understand that, you know, golf courses don't all have to be the same, and they don't all have to be 7,000 yards long. Yeah. But if all you go to is the open championship courses that, you know, they've all been rectified and, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're not as quirky as everything else in Scotland. And they're, and they're really cool. By far the coolest part of going to Scotland is that you will see some things that you would never see anywhere else because, you know, you can't tell the Scots that they don't know about golf, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, you can't tell them. Well, fifty-four hundred yard course—that is—that's no good. They're like, of course it's good. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of fun. What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> it's uh, that's that. It's funny. My my buddy's going uh, exactly to Edinburgh, and I recommended North Berwick and uh, Gullen, but that's a perfect perfect. Uh, um, Kilsbinary is a perfect recommendation for him because he's he's asking you know he's asking for more. Um, what um, Jeff wants to know what are five courses in North America that you haven't played yet that are on your list? Uh, you know I, that's hard for me to answer because I've been you know part of the reason for going back and updating the confidential guide is to check some of these places off my list Mm -hmm. but but then i have to admit too that i don't you know i don't always have time to play everywhere you know i'm trying to see a bunch of courses Mm -hmm. so i can tell other people about them and i don't always have time to play or i get there and you know it's 38 degrees and blowing at 30 miles an hour and i could go out and play in that but if i did then i'm not going to go see the course 20 miles down the road too um so, so the only one that comes to the top of my head of, you know, I mean, I've played most of the top 50 golf courses in the world. And you know, I think the only one that I haven't played is Oakmont. I've been to Oakmont like three or four times and it just, it never worked out for me to play when I was there. You know, it's like, 
I was welcome to play, but they had an event going on, or I was going to play, but we got ringed out, or something. So, you know, so so one of these days I'm going to go do that because I really love the golf course. But, um, you know, I wish I had more time to play golf. I mean, <laughs> you know, I get invitations from people all the time. Oh, come, you know, come play here with, and it's like, boy, I'd love to, <laughs> but but I'm but I'm traveling a lot of days still building golf courses and then and then I'm crazy enough to take on this book project and it means I need to go see golf courses in Korea and Vietnam this year and oh, I just don't have much time to get back to to Nebraska and play mm-hmm. so I got this I got this question a couple times um, easiest change for a golf course to make um, that would have the biggest effects In terms of improving it, I assume. Well, you know, I don't do a lot of like renovation projects where we really change a golf course dramatically. I mean, we we do restoration projects, but but trying to take a golf course that's not that great and turn it into something great, um, you know, I've kind of avoided because it's all a matter of opinion. Yep. You know, and when you've got three hundred members that that join the place because presumably they kind of like it, you know, blowing it up and turning it into something different is a really big, you know, you're going way out on a limb to do that. So, you know, to me that, you know, the two things that make a golf course really good are the routing and the set of greens. And, you know, it's really, it's really almost impossible to change the routing of a golf course after it's been there for 50 years and they've, you know, planted trees and done everything else to reinforce the routing, you know, changing it and just completely redoing it. You, you're just blowing it up and making a whole new golf course. So I won't, I won't take that as an example. You know, the best thing that you could possibly do, the biggest impact by far would be building a really good set of greens. But again, that's a step that most clubs don't want to make because you've got to close the golf course to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're basically closing for a year to rebuild the greens. But that would certainly be the most impactful thing. Um, you know, as far as the, the easiest thing to do, to me, it's getting the mowing lines right. You know, getting the corners of the greens back to where they used to be so you can jam a pin over in the corner. Because most old golf courses, those things have kind of got rounded off over time. And, and you know, the very coolest little edges of the golf course just aren't in play the same way anymore. Mm-hmm. Same with, you know, getting the fairway lines back to the right places. You know that sometimes that gets that introduces a lot of strategy back to the golf course that it's just, you know, it's been narrowed up kind of arbitrarily to get it to 30 yards wide because that's what the sprinkler here covers, and you know they've they've missed the intent of a hole when they did that. Yeah, that's I I see that at the course I play at. There's a one green. It's a Donald Ross. There's one green that used to be this massive green and. And like half the green is missing because because of, of a sprinkler because of sprinklers, and you see this like where this green used to go, and it's like that might have been the best green in all of Chicago. <laughs> but which is it, which is that? It's a Calumet Country Club. It's down by huh. the Flossmore um, and uh, Olympia and Ravislow. It's right. a the right. a highway cut through it, and now it's you know overgrown kind of the story of a lot of Chicago country clubs, but they're starting to take trees down and, and we're getting it back. But 
there's this one green that is just unbelievable if they had if they could get it back but there's you know it's it's a club that's low on money and there's a sprinkler right, right in the middle of where that part of the green <laughs> would be so yeah it's got got constraints um so uh, somebody asked uh if there was one you know one place you could play that's accessible to the public that you could walk in the afternoon with a Sunday bag, what course would it be? And you only get one. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest thing. I mean, I, you know, I've been to 1,500 golf courses, uh-huh. and most of the best golf courses in the world. So any of these questions where anybody asks me, you only get one. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I just have to, you know, I just have to laugh at, like, so, so go back. What are my criteria? Let's let's say it's a, let's walk it with a Sunday bag in the afternoon in the states. We'll say in the states. In the states, and it's accessible. And it's accessible, and it's not mine. I'll throw in it's not yeah. mine. We'll do that too. Yeah. I, narrows it down a lot. Um, Pasatiempo is a great course, and um, it's a little hilly for some people to walk, so so that would be a little tough to recommend, but, but that's one of the first places that springs to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not far from where I'm talking today in Traverse City. There's, there's there's an old club in northern Michigan called Belvedere. Yep. Which is a semi-private club. They're only like, you know, basically the members are around for two months in the summer, and it's harder to get onto those two months. But but the rest of the time, the public's welcome. All you have to do is call them. And, you know, it's a really cool, simple old golf course laid out on a farm by Willie Watson. And, you know, he liked it enough that when George Thomas was doing his book on architecture, he sent him a couple diagrams of the whole, actually three of them, and they're all in Thomas's book. Um, So, you know, I thought out the place the first time I came up here, and it was kind of, you know, at that point, it was really kind of run down, and they didn't have much money to spend on it. But they've done a really nice job of fixing it up, and... It was, it was host for the uh, Michigan Amateur for years and years and years. They just went back there every year, and everybody loved coming north and playing there. And then somebody, you know, somebody of the golf association said, oh, no, we have to move this around all over the state to different places, so not everybody has to go north every year. And, you know, most of the good amateurs in Michigan are still pissed about that. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot yeah. of great things about it. And it's a it's it's a very simple golf course with a really good set of greens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, thanks so much for the time. You've been more than generous. We're gonna get you out of here. Last question, and then we've got a overrated underrated segment we're gonna throw at you. But last question is, um, you know, you famously through your book through writing how much you'd love to get do a Bel Air renovation. It sounds like you've secured you know doing a bel air restoration what would be the next golf course that you would most want to um do a restoration of oh well you know 
the, the Bel Air thing came up pretty funny because I think Rand Morissette asked me that question, and you know we were we had just finished volume two of the Confidential Guide, so for some reason Bel Air was on my mind, and I just blurted it out, and you know I should have been more careful because. The problem with answering your question is there's always some consulting architect that's already working there, <laughs> which in Bel Air's case was Tom Fazio, and I just kind of stepped on him and said, geez, you know, I wish they were doing something different. And I had no idea I even knew anybody at Bel Air, but it turned out I knew like two or three of the younger guys that were on the green committee, so they all, so they called me about it. And yeah, a year and a half later, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to start a renovation there this fall. So now I, you know, now I'm thinking, oh, you know, politics. <laughs> you know, where can I say that that somebody's not going to be mad that I said it, or I'm trying to steal their job away from them? Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if I can answer the question because of that. It's like, hey, we'll we'll give you a, we'll give a you tough a, one. we'll you give know, you a I pass. I mentioned that little. Okay, I mentioned that little nine hole course I saw in New Hampshire, Hooper, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. It's barely hanging on as a golf course, surviving year to year. They don't even have enough money to keep their pretty little clubhouse open. Um, it would not take very much to get it back to just looking perfect like they've done for White and Phil. And I'd love to be part of that. I'd do that for a dollar because it's a cool little golf course. But, you know, I'd only do it if, if they get their lease with the town right to make sure the place survives. And that seems to be an issue for them right now. So I don't, I don't know where that's going. But I'd love to. It's a great golf course. I'd really love to help them. Neither somebody and nobody, that's and listening. nobody's consulting there, so I'm on safe ground. <laughs> Whoever's listening from the Northeast that has a passion for golf courses, you know, that's that's one they got to go check out. So um, this is going to be a, a new uh, regular podcast uh, segment. We're going to end it with overrated or underrated. And I've got just, I've got six things here and you just, just say overrated or underrated and then uh, we'll get you out of here. Um, no explanation. Yep. Okay. No explanation needed. Aaron Hills. Ooh. Overrated. Template hole golf. Uh, overrated to me because I've seen so much of it. Okay. Pebble Beach. Used to be overrated, might be getting to be underrated now because it's like a popular, oh, that place is overrated. I mean, there's still like, you know, the best stretch of golf holes in America at Pebble Beach. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's funny how the pendulum swings with things. Um, Double fairways. Very overrated. I don't really like that as a design concept that much. I, I think people do it as a gimmick. We'll, we're, we'll throw in there with it double greens. Uh, same. Same. You know, very overrated. Okay. Whistling straights. Ooh. You know... Overrated with, you know, based on its Golf Digest rating, I guess, but, but you know, not overrated as a project. I mean, to turn what they started with into what they finished with is a pretty impressive feat. I just don't think it's one of the top 20 golf courses in America. 
Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I kind of agree with it's. It's an amazing place you should go to, but it's not one of the top twenty-five courses you should see. Um, and then last one, the Great Hazard. The Great Hazard. The you know Hell's Half Acre Par Five design that you used at Screamsong Blue. Well, I said nearly everything else is overrated, but I'll say that's underrated. I mean, you you still don't see it that much because, you know, people are afraid. Like, you know, even Streamsong, it's like, you know, we really debated, are we going to really cut this off or are we going to give people a way around it somehow? Because it's just, you know, that's more the, the politically correct thing to do. Um, but, you know, that's why the great hazard is underrated. You don't see it that much anymore. It's a really cool feature, and you just don't get to see it because it's not politically correct. Yeah, I I love the Great Hazard. I think it's just genius, especially the way you did it at Streamsong, where if you have to lay up short of it, you still have a chance to get to the green. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's for my case. That's the way to that's the way to go. Is you mm-hmm. know lay up, and then you're like two hundred or two twenty to go, and but you could still pull it off if you a great shot yeah i i love that that uh that you brought that back it, it's something i want to see more of in the future i think it's a great way to defend par fives and make it interesting so um tom i really appreciate the time you've been awesome and uh i'm sure all the uh listeners will love it and we uh we we're looking forward to seeing more of your work and um thanks for coming on Hi, Andy. Nice to talk to you. And uh, I'm curious to see how, many, how much response I'll get to this. Yeah. Hopefully I've said enough controversial things that you'll get some buzz. <laughs> well, it'll be great. Um, and then for everybody, Tom recently joined Instagram. It's at Doke Golf. Um, sounds like his interns got in his ear and uh, got him on, on a social media platform. So if you like seeing great golf courses, check it out. <laughs>